You're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. We are three badass female coaches from around the globe who are here to debunk the typical go harder fitness and diet advice and guide you to make your own definition of health and wellness. Join us each week for conversation, information, interviews, dry humor, dad jokes, and more. Hey, so you guys remember last week I was telling you about how I had my first therapy appointment, right? And so how did that go? It was, to be honest, it was, it was a bit anticlimactic. I think maybe, so there's a couple things. I truly believe that the only time you're disappointed is when your expectations do not live up to your reality. Right. So I like, I think I had this expectation that like my first therapy appointment was going to be like, like this revelatory experience. And I was going to like bond with my therapist and it was like very anticlimactic. Um, and so it was one of those things where it was kind of, it was kind of like a, uh, a light bulb for me where I was like, Hey, like you went into this expecting something that you really didn't know was going to be true or not. Like, but at the same time, I kind of feel like, you know, what we had talked about before about like establishing rapport with your therapist and finding someone that like meshes with you. And I just feel like she didn't even try to like establish rapport. And I don't know if it was because her native language is Spanish and we were talking in English, like her English was really good, but it was just like, she seemed a little bit like, flat. And it was just like her asking me a lot of questions, but like, they weren't questions that like led into anything. They were just like, you know, does your dad have siblings? How old are they? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, I was just going to say, I had a similar experience with the, um, therapist that I was working with before the one I've got now. And I actually, I actually fired her and got a new one because I felt like it was that same thing for about three sessions. And I think the same thing though, I kind of went into this. I mean, I've been doing speaking with someone and getting help for this kind of area of my life for, you know, since I was a teenager, but I felt like there wasn't, there wasn't a connection there. And I felt Mm -hmm. like each time I was investing a lot of like time and effort into showing up for these sessions, but I felt like I just wasn't really getting anything out of it. And I think that, you know, we've sort of talked about this a little bit before, like it could be her just um, her process and it's like your process and trying to merge those two together. And sometimes the different processes don't really work. Right. And it's just like a coaching relationship that it could be that maybe you need to find someone else that, isn't the same as you because you never want that in a coaching relationship, right? Oh, I mean, that would be a total disaster. Yeah, but it could be, I don't know, give her another go and you can always say no. You can always yeah. find someone else. That's that's the thing is that, you know what it was is that one, so one of the things that I really want to work on is like my, my issues around vulnerability because I feel like that holds me back in relationships and stuff like that. And so it was like, I felt like I was like trying to be vulnerable with her and she wasn't like recognizing it in a way. And that felt very like exposing and very like, so I don't know, I might give it one more try and see how it goes. And I think some of this also talking about the process thing is about, I, I mean, I think that all of us with our clients try to make sure that our clients understand what our process is so that they don't get that feeling of being like, maybe this is part of the process, but maybe it's nothing and they're just not going in the direction that I want. So I don't know, potentially also just asking her to explain 
her process to you so that you have an idea of like what's upcoming and like where this is all going because I had the same thing where the first therapist I worked with didn't it didn't go uh, the way I wanted it to go and part of that might have been her but I think part of it was also me just not understanding how long that process took and like and where it was meant to go and so the second time going in and being like hey like here's what I want to work on how would you work on this with me so that they're like okay I'm going to do this then this then this it takes however long it takes but here's what's going to be going on and that way you go into it with like a bit of a like a better expectation of of how long things are going to take yeah Yeah. I just think that that what you're saying Holly that is so true and and that is so true within you know what we do as well is like an onboarding process with any kind of relationship that you're having with anything whether it be like a plumber coming into your house or a hairdresser or a coach you know no matter what the monetary or energy exchange is it's like someone actually explaining to you what what things are going to look like is so important to develop rapport and to get that buy-in um so maybe it is that next time you do just say maybe you could be completely honest with her and say look I I went, I walked away last time feeling like this, like, you know, can you explain to me why we were talking about these things? This is what I'm hoping to get out of it. So honestly, I did ask her during the session about, you know, why are you asking me these questions? And she kind of explained that to me. I think what was missing, and this is actually interesting because I did a a health and psychology training a couple of weeks ago. And so it's still like pretty fresh in my mind. And the, the psychologist that was leading the training like he, he mentioned, he was like, look, one of the absolute most important parts of any relationship, whether it's therapist, uh, coach, you know, anybody that is guiding you through a process is like, you have to establish rapport. Like you have to have them understand that you are also a person. And that's the same reason why like people, for example, hire us as coaches, not necessarily because we are the absolute best expert that exists in our field, but because they also like us as a person and want to kind of share with us as a person, right? And so yeah, and that, because you're going to be spending a lot of time exactly. talking one on one with that person, so liking them, like and being like, "Oh, can't wait to talk to Jillian again," is exactly. like a big plus compared to like that person's really expert, but also just don't like listening to them talk at all. Yeah. Anyways, so I think that was also. Um, a miss on on her end. But I think you guys are totally right. I need to be honest with her. I pride myself on being a direct person. So I have to be direct in my therapy relationship as well. And, and actually that can be part of your journey with vulnerability, you know, as you True. showing up being like, hey, this is how I feel. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Thanks guys. I really appreciate the feedback. What's going on with you guys this week? Well, I had the most glorious <laughs> week of all time. I'm going <laughs> and why was it so glorious you guys ask because pancakes because pancakes were involved in my week and you guys were both asking me about the pancakes that featured on my Instagram feed because they I actually sent you a killer uh, pancake dad joke oh yes Jillian yeah guys Jillian was strong on the pancake puns um and puns are much appreciated by the Priestland family so I did share that with the PFAM and Jillian you've gotten in they, they you. enjoyed Thank your you. pun. What what was it? It was I can't remember. It was like something it was about like it's pancake day today. It was it's pancake day today. That really crept up on me. Oh yeah. <laughs> what can I say? My sense of humor clearly, clearly <laughs> on point. 
<laughs> I love yes. jokes like that. Like dad jokes, those like puns, like those kind of jokes are my favorite kind of jokes. All right. Well, then I'm going to have to, maybe we'll share this on the Be Well Cartel uh, Instagram page, but I have the best dad joke meme page. So yes, we will share this on, on the Be Well Cartel Instagram stories. Can I just, on a side note on that, on memes, do you guys, put, um, there's that, that guy on Instagram, he's a CrossFit guy who does all the really funny memes. I don't make know, was great like, again. Make was great again. Make, yeah, yeah. So he oh, yeah, is a person. Yeah, so he so, he is a person is actually hilarious. And yeah, is so also like a- the podcast. Yeah, and he's also like a very, like, uh, like he, he's a very like personable person. Like he's the kind of guy, he's like a dad to two daughters and is very like, like well-versed in like feminism and is just seems like a lovely person his just his memes though I think that like CrossFit memes or people like doing dumb stuff in the gym is has got to be one of my favorite things in the whole world I love it my other favorite guy I know we're off on a tangent but my other favorite guy (laughs) on Instagram right now is the fittest wizard Oh, the guy. Yes. Okay. The guy from Russia who I, he's gay and is, has teamed up with his, his friend and they're doing, yes, he is like, his dance moves are insane. Yeah. So guys, if you haven't seen this guy on Instagram, just go to We're Instagram. We're going to share these on the Be Well Cartel search, Instagram Search for page. the fittest wizard. The quality of his video production is like next level. I'm like, this is better than some music videos that I watch. It, it, yeah. I know who I, he is. I, I, yep. I think he, he went, I, I think he went, cause I was kind of following his trajectory and he went from like 15,000 followers to like 300,000 followers in like three weeks. Yeah. That seems reasonable given how great his videos are. Yeah. But back to, so tell us briefly about these. Cause I saw a photo of Juno, your adorable dog looking at these pancakes with the cutest little eyes. What was in these pancakes? Why are those so special? What the hell is pancake day? Yeah, what the hell's Pancake Day? Because I was accused by some people who don't understand what Pancake Day is of it. Of like, they were like, oh yeah, there's a day for everything now. There's like Hug Your Dog Day and like- Chocolate chip uh, cookie wear, day. Yeah, wear Red Socks Day. Pancake Day is legit, guys. Pancake Day, it's called, we call it Pancake Day. It's actually Shrove Tuesday. This is basically like we have Easter, right? And then before Easter, there's Lent. In the UK, the start of Lent was marked with Shrove Tuesday. Uh, and I guess Lent's like 40 days or yeah. Yeah. Haven't been to, haven't been to Christian school in a while. So I think it's 40 days and the 40, so 40 days before Easter is that Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. And traditionally that was the day where people would like go into their pantries and like use up all their sort of like luxurious items like butter and stuff before Lent. What that turned into somehow <laughs> was pancakes. And so now it's pancakes. And traditionally in the, in Europe, it's like, you know, crepes, our pancakes I was talking to my friend and she was like no make real pancakes and I was like oh okay so we did we made quote-unquote real pancakes and we specifically made dog friendly pancakes because we wanted to okay what we wanted to do was win a competition at my sister's university for best pancake flip video and our plan was make a tiny pancake and then have it in the pan and then do a slow-mo of flipping it and then Juno catching in her mouth that is brilliant. But that's a really hot pancake for a dog. Oh, so we let them cool down and we let the oh, pan okay. cool down. We like did got this it, later on. Oh, wow. Um, you guys put a lot of thought into this. So have we got footage of this? Or? So at, 
as to as you guys may have noticed there's not footage of this because it didn't go quite as well as we'd planned in our mind because Juno did, couldn't see the pancake coming you know it was like she's under the pan and we'd be like Juno get ready and then we'd flip it and then like she was like what's going on and then all of a sudden this thing would be flying at her face and she was like ah and then she would try to catch it too late and it would fall on the floor and she'd eat it so she got That's a lot of still pancakes pretty funny. She enjoyed it. I, I mean, I'll send you guys the slow-mo of her, of us trying to get Juno to catch a pancake because I have many of those. But anyway, these pancakes grew to like an enormous size. They were peanut butter, banana pancakes. I, I put the recipe in my mailing list actually. Um, so I know Jillian, you have it in your collection. I read it. Yes, I read it. And it was, it was, and I remember you telling me like it made way too many pancakes and looking at it, I was like, yeah, I see that. It's like a cup and a half of flour and then like peanut butter and banana. And I'm like, okay, like, even if you imagine like eating half a cup of flour with all of those things, like that's a lot of pain. That's like a, especially if they Yeah. And then our, our second error was, was doubling the mixture because we were like, oh, we got four people and a dog. So we're going to need a lot of pancakes, but yes, didn't like look like, at, and even as we were making it, we were like, huh, seems like a lot of mix, but uh, the recipe said it makes eight medium pancakes. So, you know, for four adults and a dog, that's not enough pancakes. But it turns out like medium pancakes in America are, you know, obviously like the size of your face. And this um, is why we have problems with people overeating and not knowing how to portion things yeah. out, which is a, which is a story is for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Medium is very different over there, which it's, it's funny because now like after not having lived in the States for so long, now I go and I'll like order a coffee and I'm like, what is this giant thing? They're like, this is a small. And I'm like, in Spain, they don't even make them this big. Like you ask for a coffee this size and they look at you, they're like, do you want like three coffees? I'm like, no, I want like a small coffee and like a small coffee in the United States is larger than anything you can find here. So Olivia. portion sizes for another, what's, what's for another going with Olivia this week in your life. Um, yeah. So I, well, I, I was going to share my dentist story. Um, I think I talked to you guys about going to the dentist and I had a quite a traumatic experience and I got a filling uh, the other day and then yesterday the filling came out again. So no. I had to go back um, <laughs> on Wednesday, which is just so painful, but here we are, we're doing hard things. Um, but I think, yeah, something that did happen to me over the last week. So yesterday I was um, teaching with Nadia Norman with the Female Health and Performance course. And that was really great. So it's always great um, teaching these courses because there are really great uh, trainers and coaches coming through that are getting more clued up on female health um, and how to look after their female clients, basically. Um, and in the course, we um, talk about female physiology. Um, so teaching teaching trainers and coaches like the, the practical things of female physiology. You know, we talk about menstrual cycle. We talk about bone structure. We talk about all of these bits and pieces. Um, we also talk about um, the impact of physiological load on, on women um, and how that's so important when it comes to prescribing exercise. Um, and talking about also uh, programming uh, specifically for women. So, uh, you know, around the female phase training and stuff like that. So it's just, I, I love being a part of this and it's so cool to have so many more coaches and trainers just being more clued up on how to work with their female clients. And it's so important. And, you know, that is what we're doing here as well, which is, which is so cool. You know, what's interesting is that, 
I think that there is, and you guys tell me what you think about this, because this may be something kind of controversial that I'm about to say, but I feel like with the advent of like, you know, women can do everything men can, like women, you know, the whole like feminism movement, which has so many different branches is sort of like that, you know, female specific training got a little bit lost. Like for a long time, there was a lot of women in CrossFit doing the exact same training as men. And I think it was, it was sort of like, there's so much nuance to what feminism is that I think for a while it got a little bit confused because it's like, yes, you can can participate in the same sports as men. You can train at a high level, but we need to recognize that for all the egalitarian, you know, social constructs, there are physiological differences that don't make you less than. It just means it's it's just different. And I think that that has been something that in sport, especially in the sport of CrossFit for a really long time, just wasn't really discussed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that if anything, coming back to that and like actually honoring women and our physiology and how that is different and also the different roles that we play compared to men in our lives like the different hats we wear honoring those and knowing that those are different from men is actually that should be more feminist than saying you should be able to do the same thing as men because we we aren't men so like expecting us to and expecting ourselves also to wear the same hats because we think, oh, like I want to be more equal and therefore I should expect myself to be able to do all that stuff is, uh, it's a tricky road to go down. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Feminism is like looking after yourself, you know, and, and whatever looking after yourself is for each individual woman is what that is, you know? Um, and so that's, that's what I think it is when it comes to, feminism within, um, uh, you know, training for women, you know, coaching for women, it is more understanding the individual with all those physiological differences and the, the, the load, like Holly, you said, the load that women carry of all the different hats that they wear in society. And it's hard because it's like the norms in society are just so ingrained. They are so ingrained and it's so hard to get out of that as much as we, we try to. And even I feel like at home, you know, I end up being the one that sort of cooks the most and cleans the most and stuff like that. And I'm constantly saying to my husband, I will not do this. I refuse. I refuse. And he's just like, I got it. Like, let me do it. And I'm like, no, let me do it. I do it better than you. You know, <laughs> these kind of things. But so I think that those sort of societal things are really hard. But yeah, when it comes to training women, there are just, there are, basic biological things that we cannot um, dismiss. And actually just on this, um, there was a study that recently came out on New Zealand elite um, athletes or about 250 athletes, I think that were, that participated in this study. Um, and it was about the um, socio-cultural uh, norms and how those impact female athletes. Did you read this, Holly? I haven't read it yet, but I think I saw oh. you posting a, from, an extract from it. Yeah, it's and it's really interesting that these elite athletes, the, they there's still such a lack of awareness around female physiology and and how that can impact their performance or lack thereof, you know. And so, and also that male coaches, there's nothing wrong with male coaches, but being coached by men is one of those things that came up as being a problem um, and also still how massive the impact is of how they need to look 
and how that can impact their performance as well. That they're potentially not performing as well as they could because they're so distracted by how their body should look. So yeah, it's a lot. That's it's, that is such a pertinent topic that I think gets kind of swept under the rug. Um, that, but it also has to do with so much with self-compassion, which is this like theme that we talk about a lot. And, I, and it actually ties into what we are going to talk about today with COVID. Because when we look at, for example, the, the self-compassion that you need as an athlete to say, hey, you know, I may not have the like hard body look that society tells me to have, but I need to be compassionate with myself and understand that like that is because I am training for performance. Similarly to like within the society that we're living in now where things have changed a lot in the last year and a half where like a lot of people, for example, have gained weight during quarantine. Their bodies have changed. Their training has changed. Their day-to-day routines have changed. And I think there's a lot of struggle or pushback mentally from like, hey, all of these things in my life has have changed. I still want to be the same person. And that's not necessarily possible, right? Because when your situation changes, like you either, you can either decide to fight against it. You can decide to have, you know, radically accept what the situation is, or you can solve the problem or you can ignore that the problem even exists. And so I think here, you know, talking about moving into to COVID and, and taking care of ourselves during quarantine and some of the struggles and, and, and advice that we have for people, I think is really important because it all comes back to that self-compassion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about that in all of the areas that we're discussing today. But basically what we want to cover today is taking care of your health, fitness, and nutrition during this coronavirus era. And that might be in lockdown. It might be going in and out of lockdowns. It might be being in quarantine. It might just be still be able to do stuff, but having this low level, constant low level anxiety of coronavirus existing, and then also the potential for it to change your life at any time, right? And I think what we wanted to start with today was talking a little bit about how we've, how we ourselves have been taking care of our mental health during this time and then what we recommend to our clients. So I think we can start off with that. I'd love to hear from you guys. What have you been recommending to your clients in terms of taking care of their mental health during this time? Yeah, I I love this because I think that the mental health conversation kind of becomes as a precursor to the physical health, because if your mental health isn't on point, then it's a lot harder to take care of your physical health. And so a conversation that I've been having with a lot of my clients is explaining to them how stress works, because I think that that's a conversation. And I know Holly and Olivia, you guys are, I mean, I mean we, we love talking about the process with our clients. And I think having them ex- understand how stress works in our body and in our lives is really beneficial to then saying, okay, this is how I'm feeling as far as stress is concerned. How do I want to to manage that within my life? And so, you know, kind of just to, to briefly go into this, and I know you guys can add to this as well, is sort of like, we have two different types of stuff. So acute stress and chronic stress. You know, acute stress is like a short term, you know, uh, I have a deadline at work and the deadline passes and that stress is gone. Or you have to, you're late for something and you have to find your keys and you can't find them. Like that's an acute stress. But a chronic stress is something like, I think what a lot of us have been experiencing over the last year and a bit 
is, is a sort of low level of anxiety, this feeling of, you know, there is, there are lots of different stressors on us, but none of them are ever completely going away. And so that can affect us in so many different ways. And I think, for example, with my clients, I've seen a lot of them where that has affected, I think, you know, the most common one is sleep. And then, and then the second com- the second one is, is kind of mood and motivation. And so what I've been working with a lot of my clients on right now overall is sleep, creating a solid sleep routine and understanding what um, sort of healthy sleep practices look like. And I know Holly, you are the queen of sleep. And so do you want to go into a little bit of like what those sleep practices would be? Because I imagine your practices with clients have been pretty similar. For sure. Definitely a lot of stress management, which by the way, is a skill that yeah, we're working on it, especially now during coronavirus, because like you said, we ha- we, we all have that chronic stress going on in the background and then acute stress is being laid on top, right? Of like new lockdowns and like new life events. And then also our like actual life stresses coming in and like, how's my job going? All this other stuff. Um, and so learning to manage that stress is a skill that will serve you well into the rest of your life as well. Like even once coronavirus is, I'm not gonna say gone, but like once it's the new normal managed unquote, once it's managed. managed yeah um well you'll still have stresses in your life and it's something that you've still probably been avoiding dealing with before only now are realizing how pertinent it is to actually deal with it because you don't have the same distractions you would normally have had and yeah like if we talk about the sleep side of things yeah keeping that sleep schedule has been so key for so many of my clients because now your schedule is different too and and having a sleep schedule will help set up your schedule and your energy for the rest of the day, right? So if we're not sleeping enough, then we are waking up less well rested, we have less focus, we're less productive. Uh, and that's not to mention, you know, metabolism being slower, hunger hormones being out of whack, there's a whole extra bunch of stuff that goes on there. And so, you know, for sleep routines, we're really looking for a one hour window either side, like going to sleep within the same hour window and getting up within the same hour window and just setting that up for yourself, even if you don't have your commute and you don't have to go to work, go to sleep early because you have to catch a plane the next day, like still keeping that in your life to, to kind of structure the rest around. Yeah, I think that this like these really fundamental, like basic, basic things for self-care and health, like sleep, like nutrition, like exercise, Within this COVID situation, I mean, this can be true in like non-COVID situations, but especially within the COVID situation, it's this really, really hard thing of self-discipline and self-respect. And it's like this constant um, seesaw and like tug of war with people, you know, and, you know, some people can be on, and it's hard to talk about because some people are on the spectrum of, um, you know, doing some things quite well. And then some people are on the spectrum of like not. And it's like, if we talk about exercise, some people are, you know, good with keeping that structure. And some people are just completely unmotivated at all. It's like, if they don't have that structure, if they don't have control, then what's the point? I can't deal with this. And so it is such a murky thing. And I think that with with all of it, um, I mean, the way that I've been dealing it with my clients is very, very, very individual. Um, and it's meant that as a coach, and this is a decision that I made myself, right? I mean, I could have not, um, but the decision that I made was to give more of myself to my clients and hold that space for them um, and do, 
you know, really go deep with them so that they feel like they have a place to process with me um, and working out what's going to work for them individually. Um, and that comes back to a lot of conversations around, you know, what is the self-respecting thing that you need to do around all of these things for you and the permission um, to allow them to for that to look very very different because effort looks different every day right so I think that yeah just that that seesaw between those two has been you know sometimes we do have to adult ourselves and sometimes we do have to go okay fuck it like I have to go to bed and sometimes it's like you know what I'm just going to stay up a little bit later and watch a Netflix you know and so that's a really really hard thing and it's a very fine line yeah and it's also about working out when those practices are self-care and when those practices are more like self-sabotage or a coping mechanism in an unhealthy way because sometimes that Netflix episode will be if you're doing one episode that might be the episode the way you're unwinding but if it turns into like watching six episodes you're staying up until two or three a.m that probably drifted out of that self-care realm and I think one of the big things that you mentioned which I think all of us have been working on with our clients in terms of mental health is building a structure that works for you now that's flexible because things are constantly changing. So building a less rigid structure for yourself around like self-care, around exercise, around nutrition, and then looking at, okay, like you have this structure now, which aspects of this do you need to be flexible with to allow for that self-care side? And which of them do you need to be a little bit more rigid with, at least at the beginning, to make sure that you get to that baseline of, okay, this is this is where I feel the best, and then I can adjust from there. And I think a really important point that I, I like to make with my clients, actually, in my podcast in Spanish, I did a whole episode on this, and that it was like around the definition of self-care, because I think that I think self-care can get really confusing. And so I know we want to head into a little bit more specifics of like nutrition and fitness and stuff like that, but... Uh, a really good definition that I have that kind of helps my clients understand, you know, if this is self-care or if it's purely like self-indulgence or, or like self-sabotage is, is this protecting my energy? And so what, you know, looking at, for example, watching another Netflix episode, is this protecting my energy? Because investing my emotional energy in this Netflix episode is actually like helping me release from the energy of the day. Or is this sabotaging my energy because I'm avoiding going to sleep because I don't want to go to work tomorrow. And so I think that that's where you can kind of gauge, you know, is this self-care or is this something else is using that sort of metric is like, how is this protecting my energy? And, and talking about energy is, is this is something that I've, I've heard a lot of people say is like, you know, I don't feel like exercising or I don't have the energy to exercise. And I think that that's where it's important to look at like, okay, first of all, sometimes like Olivia said, you're just, you just have to adult and man up and just get started. And Olivia, I know you have an amazing practice with your clients where you're like, look, just get started. And I think actually, Holly, you probably have this too, where it's like, just get started, do the warm up, and see how you feel from there. And I think that's the part of adulting where it's like, the all or nothing thinking is like, oh, well, I either have to do my whole workout or I don't do anything. Whereas you guys are really amazing in your strength, you know, strength training with your clients where it's like, just do the bare minimum and see how you feel from there. And that I think is kind of the difference between self-care and self-sabotage is knowing like protecting my energy is just giving myself these three to five minutes and then taking it from there. Right. Yeah, totally. And, you know, going on from what you said about the all or nothing thing, and that kind of ties into perfectionism, perfectionism as well. And this conversation of, 
you know, control, releasing control to make room for trust. And when when we're sort of in this all or nothing thing, we're actually we're actually taking away from ourselves. We're moving away from ourselves. Whereas, you know, all or nothing can kind of sometimes be, um, it can kind of some, sometimes be like high five, you know, it's like, wow, you work really hard. You're, you're so committed. But if you do nothing, then you're not doing anything. But it's like, you know, being all in can look like actually being all in on yourself. And so, you know, going further to what you were saying, Gillian, when you're all in on yourself, it looks fucking weird most of the time. Like it can look really, really messy. It can look like days that that feel like crap with exercise, days that feel good. It could look like five minutes of a warm up and then ditching it. It could look like doing a full workout. And so this is where it's that flexibility and developing that flexibility muscle and that trust is really important to move away from all or nothing and changing the perspective to being all in on yourself rather than all in on a protocol or a framework or someone else's belief system for what things should look like. But the practical things just in terms of um, exercise, um, yeah, what you said, Gillian um, and Holly, I know, yeah, she does this as well, is that some things that I was um, encouraging my clients to do is like, just start with a warm up. If it feels terrible, ditch it. Or, you know, setting a timer for five minutes and just doing something again, if it feels terrible, abort. Um, or even just doing bits. So if they've got three pieces to a workout, doing an A part, like doing something else and then coming back, doing B part. And then if they want to do the C part, do that later. Just really giving them many different options for how they can look at their workout and how they can break it up. As far as working out that, I think that framework is really helpful for those all or nothing types that even progressing mentally as we're in lockdown. I think that has been really, really helpful for so many people. But I think that's something that's really important to mention is that not only have gyms closed and we haven't been able to like do our normal barbell workouts or whatever it is, but also just our daily movement has changed. So we're no longer commuting to work. We're no longer, you know, walking to go pick up the kids. We're no longer, um, you know, walking here or there. And I know that even for a lot of people, the movement just within the office in the day to day was like a large portion of their movement. And that has completely changed. And so I remember I had a client of mine right at the beginning of lockdown who was working in an office and, and, you know, had switched to working from home. She was like, my butt is numb. This has never happened to me before. And so what we had to do is establish with her a, a framework in which she actually had an alarm that went off every hour to hour and a half to remind her to get up and move around. And so I think that as far as practical stuff is concerned, not just, you know, on the workout side, getting up and doing just your warm out, warm up and seeing how it goes or kind of splitting it up if you need to, but also make doing that sort of adult, you know, like adulting yourself and being like, look, you cannot be sitting down for eight hours a day without stopping. Cause you know that your back hurts. You feel like crap. You sleep like crap. You, you your mood is affected. And so setting these frameworks for yourself, whether that's every hour, whether that's every 90 minutes, whether that's setting yourself a step goal, um, on your phone or on a smartwatch. I personally don't use a smartwatch anymore because I got kind of obsessed with it. And, uh, and, and I like to be able to self-regulate, uh, but using your phone, like pretty much every phone has a step counter and just keeping in mind, like, Hey, okay, I'm going to make an intentional effort to move extra within my day, because I know as an adult that, I am not getting that casual movement that I used to get. 
Yeah, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, right, with things having to look a little bit more structured and in a different way than they would have before, where, yeah, of course, the ideal is that we do just self-regulate and we do just move intuitively and eat intuitively and do all these things automatically. But when there's been a big life shift like that, at the beginning, the, the intuition that served you before with that stuff it won't serve you now necessarily if you're not used to having to change that around. And so, yeah, like having to be way more intentional with like planning walks in, like I have walks in my calendar now because I, I don't have anywhere else to go. So it's like, if I didn't plan those walks in, I, I don't, I'm not like walking to meet a friend at a cafe or like cycling somewhere to go see someone like there's, there's nothing to do. So it's like, you have to now be like, yeah, setting alarms or putting stuff in your schedule and that's something that I also had my clients do with their workouts if they wanted to schedule time for workouts specifically was like schedule it into your calendar the same way that you schedule a meeting, like schedule that time for yourself. And by the way, if people are really neurotic about it, like having to schedule in time to do nothing, be like, here's your time where you don't do anything. For other people, it's being like letting go of that and being like, hey, I'm just going to do 10 air squats, like after my meeting today, after every meeting, I'm going to do 10 air squats. And like, that's already a step in the right direction. If you went from going to the gym four times a week to doing nothing, because there was such a big change and you didn't know how to navigate that gap. And so for like one of my clients this week, her goal is because her her job is very hands-on and she's still working right now. Her goal was, okay, like whilst the she's a she's a nanny so she was like whilst the kids are in one of their zoom classes I'm just going to do the warm-up of one workout that was her goal this week because she was she's so tired when she gets home she would like I scheduled in my workout then like that was my plan to do it but I get home and I just don't have the energy so we're like okay cool like what can you do at work and she was like yeah I've got like 10 minutes okay cool like that's great if we do 10 minutes that's already 10 minutes more than zero and maybe the week after you do that twice And maybe the week after that, you do it three times. Or maybe you keep doing it twice forever and that's okay too. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. And I think that, um, again, it's it's this massive spectrum that people are on, right? I mean, for me, many of my clients are very much, they are the ones that have been going to the gym five times a week, that they are suddenly out of the gym. They very much like to be in control. They you know, having a really, really hard time with that. And then there's a lot of people, I think, Gillian, we sort of talked about this um, the other week that a lot of maybe your clients find it hard to actually find that motivation. And so it's this really funny thing of like how people are kind of balancing this. But I know that for those people that are really like to have that structure and being out of the gym is really difficult for them. Those clients now have this they have so much has changed for them with the way that they see themselves the way that they look at exercise the way that they view food the way that they look at their body as well through this process of going through this together um, and really really having to lean into how flexible can you be with your mind right now um, and really exercise your mind and I think that Holly like what you said for some people actually having to build in space and be like, it's okay. Like you're in this really interesting circumstance and it's okay to actually rest. And for many of my clients that's happened as well, that they have finally given themselves permission to rest. Yeah. And I think, I think that's something that all three of us 
also worked on it oh a lot. Oh my gosh, yes. During yeah. this time, oh so much learning to yeah, learning to do less, <laughs> learning to be still, and all of us had some pretty good health benefits from that, which we'll talk about next week on our podcast, where we're talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea and our journeys with that. But just touching back on that thing of people now having to spend more time with themselves, having less distractions and like actually be like, wow, what what does my structure and discipline look like without external things, like programming it in for me? And if we look at that in a nutrition point of view, what I found for a lot of people was they got to lockdown and for a long time, they'd kind of been blaming their bad nutrition habits on oh it's you know it's because I'm really busy with work it's because I have this long commute it's because I have all these meetings all day and then they were in lockdown where they didn't have those things and they were like wow actually my habits still suck it wasn't the work schedule it wasn't all this other stuff it was me and people then having to reevaluate their relationship with food in a new light Obviously it's different because now you're, and for some of us, like for me, for example, when I was in San Francisco, I I'm working in the kitchen. So it's like, there's a lot less barrier between me and food, you know, in theory, we should be able to be like, Oh, but you know, I'm not hungry. So I'll just keep working here. And you know, when I get hungry, I'll just go eat some food, but people's relationship with food is so much more complicated than that. I think that a lot of people suddenly realize that during this lockdown. Yeah, this is something, I mean, this is kind of like my bread and butter. This is what I just absolutely love working with clients on is, is understanding, you know, how much of our eating behaviors have to do with emotion and how much of our eating behaviors are actually driven by biology. And the interesting thing is that there is a lot of intersection there. There is a lot of, of like crossover between, Hey, like you're craving this thing, but you've also been restricting your intake for, you know, however long. And so, yeah, it's totally normal that you're craving carbs because your body actually needs you to eat more carbohydrates on a regular basis. So similarly to like one of the, the, um, one of the myths that we talked about last week was, was taught, you know, should I be eating something in the morning if I'm not hungry? And, and that, you know, seeing how talking about how, when you don't eat early in the morning, sometimes your body will kind of bounce back at you and be like, Hey, I'm hungry. Like feed me more is like that. I think was, you know, for some people they had been following. I saw a lot of people that were because of their schedules were able to follow really strict diets. And then once that schedule kind of disappeared, they, they were like, well, I don't have this external structure for me to follow a strict diet. And so now I'm eating all of these things that normally I would be out of the house and not able to eat. And so there was that. And then there was the other one, like you were saying, Holly, of like, okay, you know, I know my eating habits aren't great, but it's due to this, 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 and this. And now I'm at home and now what's happening. And so from there we saw, I think right at the beginning, especially we saw a lot of people like treating themselves with food, thinking like, oh, I'm going through a really hard time. So like, I'm just gonna, you know, eat this thing or bake this thing. And I know like there's a big difference between baking yourself banana bread and going to the store and buying yourself a box of cookies. Like there's a huge difference between those two things. And I think it's important to understand that like eating a box of Oreos and eating a whole loaf of banana bread, neither of them are are incredibly beneficial to your health, but they are different things. And understanding, you know, for clients to understand or, or just any individual to understand, like, look, there is a a connection between my emotions and between my biology. How do I further understand myself from a non-judgmental place? Because a lot of the time it's the judgment 
of I shouldn't be doing this that's actually making the problem worse. And that's, I think, also why we're here is to help give enough information and, and enough understanding so that people are not making these judgments based on shitty information, right? Yeah, Jillian, that's exactly the point I wanted to touch on was that sort of judgment side of things. Because, you know, if we were going back to what we mentioned before, where we were talking about what is self-care versus what is self-sabotage, sometimes having those Oreos if, or the banana bread, like either way, obviously, if you've like baked it, there's a different connection with the food, blah, blah, blah. But even if it's like the Oreos, let's say, sometimes having some of those Oreos is self-care, right? Like it is a good practice. And I think that there's a part of this where it is what you mentioned about the judgment, where if you judge yourself as like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, that this mental restriction comes into play. And because you're trying to mentally restrict yourself from something, you then end up like battling against it and having this inner fight against it. And that and can that, end up and, backfiring. And that's actually stress. So that's something that we don't real that people don't realize is that mental restriction causes physiological stress symptoms in the body. A hundred percent. And I was just talking to a client about this earlier where she was talking about like, hey, you know, I, I ate a piece of cake and, and I was really stressed. I, I got the cake because I was stressed and I was eating the cake and now I'm all gassy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Let, let's hold up because it's not actually the cake that's made you like gassy and bloated here. It's the fact that you were super stressed out before you got it, then got it and were like, I shouldn't be having this and then ate it in this mode of like, oh, I'm super stressed. Your digestive system has literally either slowed down or shut off when you go into that stress mode. So that's why when you're eating it, you feel so shitty is because you've got yourself into a stress spiral and are then eating. Whereas if you ate that cake, like sitting down, be like, wow, I can't wait to eat this cake. Looks really great. I'm really relaxed. I'm going to sit down and enjoy this. Your experience with that, like physiologically would also be so different. Yeah. And I think that this is really, really difficult for people though, to try and navigate. It's like, okay, yes. Like I, I hear you, like I hear you guys. And I, I understand that. I understand that, you know, I need to be more mindful about what I am, you know, eating. And I understand like, yes, I need to have more compassion for myself and I need to not judge myself. And but it's still really, really, really hard. And I think that one of the most important things here is that it's just practice and that you will mess up. You have times where you have a whole um, sleeve of Oreos and you're like, holy smokes, what happened? Like, where did that go? I've done it again. But then that is where that non-judgment piece comes in. You go, huh? and it's really, really hard to let go. But but remembering that, you know, maybe sensations that you might be having like physically um, is not true for what you might be thinking about that thing. Um, and that it's just continuing to practice. And it, it's it's a real skill, though, isn't it? I mean, to, to be mindful with how you're eating, it's such a skill. And it only can come when you decide that you're wanting to feel a certain way. And maybe how you're feeling right now is not actually what you want. And so, yeah, I, I think it's just important to say that because often when we, when we hear about these things and, you know, tools and um, thoughts and advice and, and stuff like this around how we can move away from restriction with eating and feeling not out of control around food to just remember that it is such a practice and you will mess it up 
all the time. But the only way that you start to trust yourself, and because remember, when you're restricting food, that is you controlling. And when you're controlling, there is no room for trust. The only way to trust is to actually let go and get really freaking messy with it. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do, but but you can do it. Yeah, and I think that an extra layer on top of all the pressures because all the pressures you just mentioned are always there, right? Like the restriction, the control, the working out where you lie in the middle is always there. And I think with COVID, there was this extra layer on top of it because it was being so openly talked about. And there were there was a lot of jokes being made about, I can't remember if it was like the COVID-15 or the COVID-19 or whatever the quarantine it was. Quarantine 15. Quarantine yeah, 15. <laughs> oh my God. It was just driving me crazy yeah. because then it became a thing where people were like, oh my God, I don't want to become one of quote unquote those people and it was like wow so you already had a fear not everyone but most women already have this fear of body changing of letting go of being less in control and then on top of that you have memes being made and shared on social media like yelling at you in the face being like ha ha like and if you do this double failure because you're like you know, giving into this stressful situation where it's like, wow, maybe that's actually what I needed in this situation and possibly what I needed before this situation even happened. Yeah, I think that there's two points to be made here. And one is that social media is like, I remember the beginning of quarantine, all of a sudden it was everybody's doing Instagram lives. Everybody was on Instagram all the time, on social media all the time. Everybody's constantly looking at a screen. And so you're looking at a screen and you're seeing yourself all the time. And so it started, there started to be this sort of like hyper focus on image because, you know, even though you were like, you know, business on top party on the bottom and everybody's wearing sweatpants all the time, you still felt this pressure or, or I think it's, it's still there of body checking and comparing yourself. And even if you were maybe looking for recipes for sourdough on Instagram, you were still going to find photos of people that, you know, had a different body than yours or were promoting a certain diet. And I think that that became so prevalent that it got really hard to kind of weed through everything to, to figure out, okay, like, what is actually important to me and is my body changing something that bothers me or is it something that I feel anxious about because in the, in the, in out the outside world, it seems like it's not acceptable for my body to change. And then one, right. One like thing, everyone else is anxious about it. So should yeah, I also be anxious about it? Exactly. Because I think that like the reality of the situation is that like, it's normal for your body to change throughout the course of a year, like no one weighs the exact same amount that they do every day of the year. And I think that we need to normalize the fact that bodies fluctuate the same thing that like, you know, your body is going to fluctuate around your period. It's like your body also is going to fluctuate depending on what season of life you're in. And some seasons of life, you can go to the gym really consistently. You can eat super healthy and that works for you. And some seasons of life, that's going to be more difficult and fighting against it is going to increase this stress response and these thoughts of, of stress and being like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I gained, you know, two pounds and I've been up two pounds for a week. Oh my God. And stressing about it is actually Con, like counterproductive to, to, to like your life as a whole, because the fact of the matter, and, and I told a client once this, and she kind of looked at me, she was like, Oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Is that the weight on the scale? Nobody else sees that. Nobody knows how much you weigh. And so if it's, you know, 130 or 133, like 
you're the only person that knows that. And I think having that sort of peace of mind of like, oh, nobody else gives a shit is kind of like pretty liberating. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, all the fears that we have in the world is literally all built on judgment from other people. Like when we we liberate ourselves, when we decide to only care about ourselves and not what other people are thinking, like that is true liberation. It is true liberation. And I think that, you know, something that, you know, you kind of touched on there, Holly, was um, that there's this like body talk, like body shame talk. And and this happens not even in COVID like circumstances, like for women just in normal life, you know, is talking about my body looks like this and it's a really bad thing. Don't worry, my body's worse because of this and this and this. And I think that that was really perpetuated through, you know, over this year. And like in Mean Girls, like, oh, I hate my nail beds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really you know, all, in the morning. <laughs> um, all of those, all of those memes, and everybody in this like shared suffering of weight gain, which just kind of makes everything spiral and just perpetuates the whole thing. And so, what I would say is that if if you are feeling some kind of way about your body, this is not to say to not talk about it, but you know, talk about it, voice it, because if you're not talking about it, then that shame just, um, it festers, right? And so it's really, really important to bring to light the things that we feel shame about, but doing that with people who are maybe professionals and people who are not going to be um, kind of like, do you know what I mean? Like still sort of getting in there with themselves and what's going on with them and just like, making this like melting pot of body talk and body shame um, even bigger. So a a really interesting thing that I read recently, and this is sort of like, it's simple, but profound is people that are, that think bigger, talk about ideas and concepts, people that think smaller, talk about other people. And so if you are in a circle in which the talk is about other people, think about how you can start expanding that circle and how you can start connecting with people that are talking more about concepts and ideas and intentions and values instead of talking specifically about other people. Because talking about other people is not going to expand your mind or your 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 life in any way. Talking about ideas and concepts and theories and, and using self-reflection is. I know we wanted to kind of wrap this up talking about what our three top tips are for, for kind of quarantine mental and physical health. And for me, I would say... Number one is self-reflection. And so this is something I work on a lot with my clients when they come to me and they're like, oh, well, I overate yesterday or, oh, I did this thing. You know, I, I'm struggling with this. I look, okay, what did it look like the last time you did it? And what would you change for the next time? Because any experience that you have is only an opportunity to learn about how you can change things for next time. And so now we're going into like lockdown, you know, what number, whatever is like, that's an opportunity for self-reflection to say what worked for me the last time this happened and what didn't work for me. And then as far as sort of like very specific is sleep, work on your, like take the, take the steps to start working on your sleep. I just started this with a a client last week, simple things as for example, taking a warm shower in the evening and putting on a really comfy pair of pajamas, like something that is so simple. And she told me, she was like, 
I don't have any comfy pajamas. And I was like, your homework for this week is to go buy yourself a pair of comfy pajamas. And she told me, she was like, this weekend, I slept so much better. My cravings are down. My headaches are down. Like I didn't realize what these tiny steps could do. And so start working on your sleep. And then the third one, and I say this kind of for myself, it's super basic, but I realized that I was lacking on this is water intake. And water intake helps in a couple ways. One, you stay hydrated. (laughs) Yeah. Water intake, you stay hydrated, which is amazing for so many processes in your body, but also you have to get up to pee more often, which is extra movement throughout the day when you would otherwise just be sitting on your ass. Awesome. I love all of those. And for, for me, I think my, my first tip is be okay with having to be more intentional about your movement and your workouts and your food than usual. Uh, be okay with it being more effort, but also be okay with it looking super weird because what was quote unquote normal doesn't matter anymore because society is fucking weird right now. So it's like everything else can be weird too. That's fine. And whatever fits in your day is totally okay. And that brings me to the second thing, which is uh, on the note of workouts, you're no longer, if, if gyms are not open, you're no longer forced into fitting your whole workout into an hour. You don't have to stress about that anymore because you haven't like gone to the gym, only have an hour to train and then have to leave. So spread them out. Like if, if, if trying to sit down for an hour to do a workout feels really a monumental task to you right now, break it up, like do little sections and be okay with that. And then the third one I wanted to just recommend, uh, we don't recommend a lot of supplements in general to our clients or on the podcast, but one supplement that's been helping a lot of my clients during this is vitamin D for multiple reasons, right? So firstly, for from an energy standpoint um, and a mood standpoint, like that can be really helpful. And a lot of people are lacking in vitamin D right now because they're spending so much more time inside. It's also winter, so it's been darker. Um, a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D at the moment. And then the, the second part of that being vitamin D also great for your immune system. That's something that we do want to take good care of right now. And by the way, in partnership, like that's not a replacement for getting good sleep and, and taking care of yourself, but it's like a good bonus to add on top. I've had multiple clients who started taking vitamin D consistently during this and were like, holy shit like I didn't expect to feel a big difference with this like took it skeptically but because ah, Holly said it might help so all right I'll give it a go and then we're like oh this was making a difference and if anyone out there is thinking of getting vitamin D I know the a brand that all of us like is Thorne T-H-O-R-N-E Thorne Labs available globally including in China by the way guys which if you if a brand is available in China you're like wow you can find it in China. That's great. And getting it either way from Thorn or not, probably in an oil form is the best because it's a fat soluble vitamin. So it just makes it easy for you to take. So Thorn Labs is probably our most recommended one for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also recommend if you're in the EU, the brand that I use is Go Primal and, and that is their, their vitamin D actually comes encapsulated with coconut oil. And, and so that one, you know, if you are local to, to EU, I would definitely recommend looking into Go Primal as well. Yeah. I love all of those, Holly. And I'm a massive, it is one of my top supplements that Thorn vitamin D K liquid it is bomb. I have it. I love it. Um, and I recommend it to people as well. And actually I'm going to 
carry on with that with another recommendation for a supplement. Um, and then I've got two other tips. So something that I will quite often encourage my clients to get if they do have trouble sleeping and also just just to help with managing stress a little bit um, is making sure that they're having magnesium um, in the in the evening and one of the supplements that I absolutely adore um, is called Calm and it is by a company called Natural Vitality Um, and I've got a couple it's a really nice like drink you can have it in the evening and it's uh, kind of sweet and it's fizzy and it's delicious and it's one of my favorite things in the whole world so um, and I usually get mine from iHerb um, and most of my clients usually use that as well because it goes globally. So that would be a tip for just helping with sleep um, and you can incorporate that into your wind down routine. So two other tips are, first of all, I'm going to actually talk about moving out of COVID. So some of those people that are maybe restrictions have been lifted. Um, I know like a lot of my clients are in Hong Kong right now. They are back in civilization, which is amazing. And one of the things I think that is important is really making sure that you are adhering to your boundaries. And this is something that we talk about quite a lot, the three of us, but when you are allowed to go out again, it's pretty easy to be like, oh my gosh, okay, there's all of these social things happening. Um, I'm expected to be here. This person wants to have lunch. There's drinks. There's this happening, this happening. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to go to work. Oh my gosh. From going from zero to 100 again. So allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to say no to really do things that you want to do and not that you feel like you have to do just because you've been in isolation and that you can you can pick and choose with what is good for you so that you can manage your energy with everything else that's going to be going on. So that would be one. And the other thing is um, with working out. So this might be an obvious kind of one, but you know, going back into the gym, making sure that you are not going ham, (laughs) that you are really managing your expectations with what your body is capable of. Um, You are focusing on motor control. You're using higher, like longer tempos. Um, You're keeping things very, very basic um, and letting your, allowing your body to adapt to that new stimulus again. Um, I know, you know, a lot of my clients that have been back to the gym and then out of the gym, they've all been fine because we, you know, we've been managing their training. Um, and some of them, a couple of those Hong Kong people uh, that went back uh, this week, their strength is like where it was, which is really amazing. So um, that is just one thing is just, again, like managing expectations around that and taking back into the world what you learned in isolation about yourself about your body, about how you want to feel in your life, how you want your days to be, how you want to manage your energy. Um, And maybe it's that you don't say yes to things that you used to, but you really say no. Oh my God, such good points. And I think that is the absolute perfect way for us to wrap up the podcast this week with all those awesome tips. Before we head out, so just to let everyone know, if you're listening to this podcast um, every Thursday, we do a live clubhouse room where we talk in more detail about everything we mentioned on the podcast and then take any of your questions as well. So if you want to join us for that, it's going to be every Thursday, um, 9.30 a.m. UK, 10.30 a.m. Central Europe, 5.30 p.m. China time, and then 6.30 p.m. Korean time. 
And you're so good at those time zones, Holly. I, I like Olivia and I are like, yeah, whatever Holly says. Yeah. Is right. um, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. The, I just want to make a note that if you are listening to this and you're like, okay, but when do your guys' podcast come out? So uh, Jillian here, I'm the editor, the fancy ed- podcast editor. And, uh, and I will be posting a new podcast every Thursday evening. And so you can come into our clubhouse chat, listen to what, you know, talk about what we've, we've discussed in the previous week's podcast. And then Thursday is kind of like the magic be well cartel day, because then in the evening you will have another pod and I'm talking evening Barcelona time. So that is GMT plus one. You will have another amazing episode to listen to. Friday morning, Asia, and it's going to be Thursday morning in the US. So basically what we're saying, guys, is go into your calendar, set reminders, just block out your whole day every Thursday for be well cartel and don't do anything else. Yeah, basically. And also we have received some, some Instagram messages from people with questions and comments and I'll reach out to us. We absolutely love to know that there are people listening and that, you know, in some way, if this helps you, if there's something that you're confused about, if there's something that you hear that you disagree about, um, we are open. So thank you for being here. Yeah. And then, so guys, next week we are discussing something that's very near and dear to all three of our hearts. And that's going to be hypothalamic amenorrhea. We're going to be talking about our journeys with that, where we are now, what it is, the importance of the menstrual cycle and everything period related. It's going to be amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.